This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulated and their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash Purple Rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. OutSchool.com slash Purple Rocket, code Purple Rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. Previously on Digger... Dylan and his friends were captured by Kai, the leader of the Risers. Kai told Dylan of his plans to use them to convince the rest of Underearth to help him rise to the surface. Dylan refused to help him and stole a bejeweled dagger from Kai's castle in case he needed to defend himself. Just before Kai could force him and his friends to do a broadcast, Mora flew in with her airship and rescued them. As they flew away, Dylan had to cut the airship's balloon with his new dagger to help them escape their pursuers. With one damaged engine and a popped balloon, they were forced to crash land in the boiling sea and dive into the depths to keep out of sight. And now for episode 6, The Boiling Sea. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents... Digger. 
Dylan had never been in a submarine before. The thought of diving deep into the ocean in a metal tube didn't sound too appealing. Everything about the ocean was terrifying to him. It was so dark and mysterious. There were creatures you could barely see all around you, and it went on forever. And now, here he was, diving into the depths of a sea far below the Earth's surface in an airship that was practically falling apart. Pondering this, he sat in the seat next to Mora and closed his eyes, not daring to look out the cockpit window. Behind him, Laney and Mac were marveling at what they saw. Look at that thing, Dylan heard Mac say. Is it glowing? Oh man, I think it's glowing. It's like, it's like a disco ball with fins. Whoa, look at all those tentacles, Laney added, leaning over Dylan's shoulder to get a better look. None of these comments made Dylan want to open his eyes. He could hear the bubbling of the boiling water around them and the sounds of distant creature cries and screeches that sounded like angry wails, but more creepy. What's worse, he could feel the pressure building in his head as they dove deeper and deeper, making his ears pop every few minutes. The ship itself didn't seem to be faring much better. Its wooden walls moaned and groaned the deeper they went. Can we just go back to the surface now? Dylan begged, still squeezing his eyes shut. I think we lost them. No, Mora replied. If we go up now, the Union Patrol will surely find us. They will patrol far and wide in their search and likely drop scanners in the water. We must go as far as we can before we surface. Lucky for us, the turbulent waters of the boiling sea will have masked our crash on the surface. No one will be able to trace our bubbles. She grunted as she struggled to steer the joystick with two hands. Controlling this thing with one engine is almost impossible in the air, let alone underwater. Too bad we no longer have a balloon to carry us to safety. She scowled at Dylan, who finally opened his eyes to look at her. I'm sorry I had to, okay? They were almost on us. Mora shook her head and looked straight ahead. I could have outmaneuvered them had I been given the chance. Actually, Dill's right, Mac jumped in. Had we not blasted off when we did, we'd be having this little chat in the company of Union soldiers. I don't need you to back me up, Dylan said irritably. Mac scrunched his face. Dude, you're seriously still mad at me? After all that craziness back there? Dylan didn't respond. He didn't need to. Of course he was still mad at him. Mac was the reason they were in this mess, and Dylan wouldn't soon forget it. Mac folded his arms. What, you're gonna give me the old silent treatment now? Oh, please. I guess that means you're not going to tell us what that Kai guy fed you back there, huh? Dylan looked him up and down. What are you implying? Max squinted one eye and bobbed his head. Maybe, Dill. I'm implying that there's something Kai told you that you aren't telling us. That's ridiculous. Is it? Then why did he call you up all by yourself? I told you. He was telling me about his plans to use us to rise to the surface and take over the world. Max shook his head. 
come on, Dill. He had to have offered you something. You know, for trying to convince us to play along. What did he offer? A crystal house or a decked-out airship? You don't know what you're talking about, Mac. Just drop it. Mac, just let it go, Lainey pleaded. Mac held up his hands. Fine, fine. If you want to keep your little secrets from us, be my guest. Dylan scoffed. He wasn't about to tell them that Kai considered him to be their leader, and that he thought Dylan could convince them to do the broadcast. And he definitely wasn't about to tell them that for a split second, he'd actually considered accepting his offer. He turned and looked out the window for the first time. Outside, the airship's lights blazed to trail through the dark water. All around them, columns of bubbles rose to the surface, and the hot water made their view hazy and a little distorted. Dylan jumped as another glowing fish swam through their lights. Just as Mac had described, it looked like a colorful disco ball with fins. Whoa, Dylan whispered. He watched it swim away from a school of fish that were in the shape of little razor-sharp ninja stars. They spun through a column of bubbles out of sight, and then Dylan heard a grinding noise. Seconds later, flecks of the disco ball fish were floating into view. What in the... is that? Ew! Lainey said, covering her mouth. Ah! <gasps> oh, that poor glowball fish! Just the circle of life, Lainey. Mac noted. He looked at Mora. It'd probably be a good idea not to bump into those things. I do not have much control, Mora said through gritted teeth, irritated with Mac's hundredth suggestion. The boy was the ultimate backseat driver. What we bump into, we bump into. Mac noticed more shadows coming into view on the rocky seafloor up ahead. What's that? he said, pointing to it. Everyone squinted through the window as the objects came into view. Laney gasped. They're skeletons! Thousands upon thousands of skeletons dotted the ocean floor. Some of them were large and ferocious looking, like an army of sasquatches. The rest of them were human, dressed in armor. Rusted weapons lay half-buried all around them. What happened here? Dylan asked, looking over the eerie scene that looked like a flood had suddenly swallowed up a battle. Mora looked confused. These are Ryanites. That is the old Union crest on their armor. But I have heard nothing about such a battle. And this species... She nodded to the gorilla-like bones hunched over rocks and weapons. I have heard stories of their kind, but they were only believed to be a myth. She went silent as they glided over the rest of the battlefield. When they reached the other end, she whispered, I will have many questions for my father. Passing the last of the skeletons, she steered the ship over a rocky ledge and then glanced over at Dylan. So, what did you use to terrorize my balloon? Dylan raised his eyebrows. He wasn't sure he wanted to tell them about the dagger yet. He'd stolen it, after all, and he didn't want to give Mac more ammo. 
I... I was able to grab a piece of glass from Kai's broken window, he said finally. Then I just, you know... He reenacted viciously stabbing the balloon and then sawing a hole in it. Mac and Laney watched him slightly disturbed. Laney's face looked like it was melting. Okay, psycho. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be able to sleep after watching you do that. Mac agreed. So, did you pop the balloon or murder it? Dylan looked at them annoyed. I popped it. And maybe it wasn't quite that dramatic, but it took some power. That is an understatement, Mora said, looking at him suspiciously. I know of no glass strong enough to tear so easily through Hongahide. Dylan shrugged, trying to hide his nerves. Must have been a special kind of glass then. We were in Kai's suite, after all. Mora paused and then opened her mouth to reply, but Mac jumped in. I can try throwing it if you want. Everyone slowly looked back at him. What? You think you can buy shirt fifth off him? He pointed to his stained Hawaiian shirt as if it were a first place trophy. Yeah, that's right, hand stitched, baby. He looked at Mora. Do you have any string or hooks or anything I can use? Mora pointed to a zigzagging cabinet bolted to the wall by the maps of Ryan. Look in there. You should find fishing gear, but do not touch anything else. Before she could finish, Mac was already digging through her stuff. Dang, check this out. He held up a beautiful necklace with a big yellow jewel in it. I didn't know you were so fancy, Mora. How do I look? He modeled the necklace over his shirt. Put that away, Mora barked, squeezing the spear by her side, making the crystal glow bright red. She looked like a pit bull ready to pounce, so Mac quickly obeyed and then dug out the fishing gear. Sure enough, he found a coil of strong string and some hooks he could use. Perfect, he said, taking it out. Now I just need someone to hold the fabric straight for me while I work my magic. He looked intentionally at Dylan, who quickly turned away. Laney glanced between the two boys and sighed. I'll do it, Mac. Why, thank you, Laney, Mac said, still looking at the back of Dylan's head. We'll just be in this other room, saving the day. Come on, Laney. They took the gear and went to the back room to work. Dylan turned to watch them go and for a second considered saying something, but he stopped himself. He was sure whatever would come out of his mouth would be mean and only cause more problems. He didn't want to distract Mac from what he was doing. They needed him to sew that balloon if they were ever going to get out of this boiling sea. His eyes trailed up to the dangling crystals in the room. They hung at an angle from the ship's downward pitch, and their glow was changing from blue to reddish-orange. Why are they doing that? Mora glanced back at the crystals. These crystals are sensitive to the light. They are sensing a strange energy down here. Dylan's eyes grew wide as he shriveled back into his chair. Well, that's comforting, he said sarcastically. Mora eased up on the joystick and seemed to be lost in thought. 
I have felt nothing but strange energy since the three of you came here. My spear has glowed red from the moment we met. What color is it normally? Blue. Red is the light's color for warning. It signals a sharp rise in danger. I am still learning to recognize it without the aid of the crystals, and at first it was difficult to notice, but now it is sharp, like a strong feeling that I should turn and run. She looked at Dylan with her piercing blue eyes. That is why I did not want to listen to my father when he suggested we help you. I sensed danger. Dylan's stomach did a little flip. He'd almost forgotten about Grebe. Is he okay? Your dad? Mora turned her gaze to the cockpit window. I do not know. Kai's guards told me he was in the Union headquarters with the ship, but when I lifted into the building, I only found the ship. It was heavily guarded, and I had no time to search for my father. So I settled on taking the ship and coming for you, and your friends, she quickly added. Once I have gotten you three away from the Union's reach, I will go back for him. There was a long silence. I'm sorry he was captured, Dylan finally said, and I'm sorry we've caused so much trouble for you. Mora didn't respond. I know what it's like to be separated from your only parent. Back home, it's just me and my mom. My dad left us a few years ago to go work on an oil rig and never came back. It's been really hard. And now, being away from my mom like this, knowing she's looking for me, knowing she needs my help? He shook his head. I feel helpless. Mora gave him a sympathetic look, an expression Dylan hadn't seen on her face since they'd met. My mother was a servant of the light, much more powerful than myself. She taught me everything I know. She died in a confrontation with the Risers not long ago. My tribe has since looked to me to fill the void she left. I'm so sorry. Losing a parent is hard for many reasons, but I believe it has made me stronger. You should believe that too. Dylan smiled at her and nodded. You're right. Hey, speaking of strength, how did you bust through the walls of Kai's castle like that? Mora smiled back at him. When you lift hard enough between two points, any obstacles between you and that point are pushed away. The light forms a type of cocoon of energy around you, and most objects in your way cannot withstand its power. Dylan chuckled. Remind me not to stand in your way next time you do it. Mora let out a small chuckle herself and pushed the blue hair out of her face. There was a long pause and Dylan, fascinated by her smile, suddenly felt shy. Before he could say anything else, Mac and Laney walked into the room. Looks like you two have been having a grand old time in here, Laney said, plopping into a chair and kicking her feet up on the control panel. What you been talking about? Mora glared at Laney's dirty sandals and then back at her. 
nothing that would concern you, she said coldly. Feet on the ground. Okay, bossy pants, Lainey said, rolling her eyes and putting her feet down. It's ready to go, I think, Max said, sitting in the chair next to her. We would have been done sooner if Lainey hadn't made some of the holes bigger. Lainey swiveled her head dramatically. Excuse me for holding it tight like you said. What can I say? We can't all have perfectly delicate sewing hands like moi. Mac held up his hands and wiggled his pudgy fingers. Lainey elbowed him. I almost forgot, Morris said to Dylan. I held on to your shovel and tool belt. It is by the maps if you need them. Dylan's face lit up. You have them? Are you... He jumped out of his chair and ran over to retrieve them, letting out a little yelp when he saw them. He'd felt naked without his tool belt, and that mini-retractable shovel would come in handy. As he bent down to grab them, Mac noticed the bejeweled dagger sticking up out of his pants. He shook his head at the sight of it. Dylan sat back up and strapped on his tool belt, then dropped the mini-shovel into a loop on the side. How does it look? He said, turning his hips. It suits you, Boris said with a slight smile. A gag, Lainey said. Dylan gave her a dirty look. You'll be glad I have them, just wait. Now I can help work on the engine when we surface. Mac held up a finger and looked over the group. That's true, but let's not forget who fixed the balloon, okay? Balloon hero, right here, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget it. That is yet to be seen, Mora said, turning her attention back to the joystick. She steered the ship deeper and deeper into the abyss until a series of enormous round rocks surrounded the cockpit window. The giant ball-shaped stones had gaping holes in their centers full of twinkling purple crystals. What are those things? Mac asked, leaning towards the window for a better look. They are geodes, Mora answered, bewildered. The largest I have ever seen. Lainey stared out at the glittering purple crystals in awe. They're beautiful. This is a much prettier view than that nasty graveyard. I will hide the ship in one of those until the Union Patrol has passed, Mora said, steering the ship towards the biggest of the geodes. The ship glided through the dark water and into the jagged mouth of the geode. Purple crystals, some bigger than their ship, jutted out of the domed walls and sparkled under the beam of the ship's spotlight. Once they were in the heart of it, Mora brought the engine to a quiet idle. Minutes later, they heard a splashing noise in the distance. Do you hear that? Mora said. Those are Union Sea Scanners. They are dropping them deep to try and pick up our signal, but they will be gone soon. They resurface when a signal is not found. Just as she'd predicted, a few minutes later, more distant splashes and more confirmed it was the sound of the scanners leaving the water. She took the joystick and primed the engine. Wait, Dylan stopped her. I think one of them is still down here. They all listened quietly as something groaned through the water. 
Mac broke the silence. Um, Mora? Yes? Do these scanners look like giant alligator skeletons? No? Why? Mac lifted a trembling finger to the cockpit window, and everyone looked out to see a giant skeletal sea monster slithering into the opening of the geode. As Mac described, it looked very much like the skeleton of a massive alligator, with a transparent outer layer and long, sharp fins instead of hands and feet. It looked like it was sniffing over the purple crystals, trying to track their scent. Everyone stay quiet, Mora ordered. She held up her hand and dimmed the ship's spotlights. Beyond the reach of their beams, more shadows appeared. They passed through the light as they got closer. More skeletal alligators. These, bigger than the first, swam into the geode and chomped at each other as they fought over the scent of the airship. They couldn't have been more than a hundred feet away. Laney let out a high-pitched whimper. <laughs> Laney, it's all a movie, Dylan reminded her. Laney closed her eyes and let out a long breath. I never wanted to star in these kinds of movies, but I can do this. They're just props. Yeah, big mechanical puppets. Or, 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 or super expensive CGI monsters. That's it. I'm working in front of a green screen. Everyone watched anxiously as she opened her eyes. Ah! Lainey screamed at the top of her lungs, and Dylan jumped up from his seat to cover her mouth. But it was too late. The creatures heard the scream. All at once, they were rearing up on their jagged spines and staring straight into the cockpit, their enormous slit eyes dilating in the ship's lights. Um, can we go, please? Mac asked as the creatures started to swim towards them. Please, 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 can we go now? Morris scrambled for the controls. That girl! She shoved the joystick forward, and they lurched a few feet and stopped. Frowning at the controls, she tried again and again, but the same thing happened. One more push, and the engine groaned and grinded to a stop. What's happening? Dylan shouted. Moore's pale face went even more white. The other engine is dying, she said in disbelief. I have lost control. The alligator skeletons were closing in on them. Their jaws opened wide. Laney and Mac closed their eyes and hugged each other, bracing for impact. Do you have weapons or, or anything? Dylan shouted. Just before the swarm of monsters could reach them, another sound resonated through the water. This one was deep and dinosaur-like. The skeleton creatures stopped in their tracks and turned to face the sound. Mac peeked out with one eye. Why'd they stop? It's coming from outside the geode, Dylan said, pointing to an approaching shadow just beyond the purple crystals. It had a big humped back and a long neck. As it passed, the alligator skeleton swam excitedly for it. I knew it, Max said slowly. Knew what? Laney whimpered. It's her. It's... 
Nathy? What is he saying? Moore looked to Dylan for interpretation. Dylan focused on the dinosaur-like beast that swam by their geode, and his eyes widened. It's the Loch Ness Monster. Right on cue, the beast stretched out its long neck and let out another bellowing roar that sent ripples through the water. Max's face lit up. She's beautiful! But the Loch Ness Monster isn't real! Lenny shouted. When are you guys going to accept the fact that I'm right about everything? Max shot back, before returning to his giddy bounce. It's likely not THE Loch Ness Monster, but she's the same species, alright. She? Lainey questioned, unable to pull her horrified gaze from the creature. Amateurs, Mac pointed at the beast. See those long gills by its hind flippers? Scottish scientists believe... Enough! Mora interrupted. We need to figure out how to get out of here, or we will die in this geode without power. The Loch Ness Monster was now swimming away from the pursuing alligators, the last of which were turning away from the airship to join the hunt. There was a brief silence as the last couple of alligators paddled away. You have fishing gear, Max said to Mora. Do you have harpoons? The ship is equipped with spear guns, if that is what you mean, Mora replied. But they are used primarily as anchors to hold the ship to mountains or, or buildings. Dylan gave him an irritated look. Where are you going with this? Fire your spears at the closest alligator, Max suggested. We'll ride them out. Dylan shook his head. That's insane. This isn't a rodeo, Mac. No, he is right. Mora said. That may work. She frantically typed into the control panel, and a spear gun emerged in front of the ship. Using another little joystick, she took aim at the last of the fleeing alligators. It is out of reach, she mumbled to herself. Just do it, Mac yelled. <laughs> Mora fired the harpoon, and a spear attached to a rope whizzed through the water. They all watched glued to the window as the rope uncoiled in a frenzy and the spear cut through the light of their beams. It stretched and stretched and stretched until shlack! It caught the alligator's bony back fin. The beast stopped and roared in pain. You caught it! Dylan shouted, shaking Mora's arm he was so excited. Mora couldn't believe it herself. She let out a surprised ha! With another angry roar, the alligator pushed on swimming with the others after the Loch Ness Monster. As it did, the airship lurched forward and glided along behind it. Boom! Crash! The ship drifted upward and scraped the ceiling of the geode, making purple crystals break off around them. My father is going to kill me, Mora moaned, watching the crystals fall and cringing with every scraping sound. Yee-haw! Mac cheered as the ship swung out of the geode on the back of the rope. They glided through the water along with the rest of the alligators. A hungry alligator to their right, whose skeletal face was bigger than their cockpit, snapped at them as they bumped into it. It's just CGI, it's just CGI, it's just CGI, Lainey kept telling herself, pulling her French cap down over her eyes. They bumped into more of the skeletal alligators that roared and chomped at them as they passed by in a blur of bubbles, drifting further and further through the sea. 
Another much larger alligator, with a missing fin and a scratched eye, was falling behind the pack and chomped down hard on them as they passed. The ship rocked as its massive jaws sunk into the wood. Dylan heard a loud crack upon impact, and then pssss, boiling water sprayed through a hole in the wall. The blast of water shot straight for Mac, who held up his hand to shield his face. Ah! He screamed as the boiling water splashed off his fingers. Laney pulled him away from the burst of water as Dylan grabbed his tool belt and ran to the leak. I need a piece of wood, he shouted over the noise. Morris spun around the room and settled on a wooden chair. With a hard whack, she slammed it against the ground and broke off the legs and seat, leaving only the back. She handed it to Dylan and together they pressed it against the crack in the wall. Using all her strength, Mora held it in place while Dylan drilled it into the wall. Boiling water sprayed out the sides and a few streams caught Dylan's leg and Mora's arms. They yelled from the pain. One last screw and the leak was patched. Dylan and Mora collapsed in exhaustion, hot water sloshing around on the floor next to them. Are you okay? Dylan asked her. Mora rubbed the small burns on her arms. I will be fine. He won't, Lenny said, wrapping Mac's hand in a torn piece of his Hawaiian shirt. Mac hissed and groaned as she bandaged it. Not my shirt, he cried. Is that seriously what you're worried about right now? Lenny barked. Hold still, I'm almost done. Honestly... I have a small medical kit in the back, Mora told Laney. You will find a black jar full of yellow cream. It should help with the burns. Laney nodded and ran to the back of the ship. Mora stood and helped Dylan up before walking back to her seat. We're stopped, Dylan said, suddenly noticing the lack of motion around them. This ship was not built to handle such stress, Mora said. We are lucky to be alive. She pointed out the window. It appears our guide was not as fortunate. Dylan looked and saw the spear floating in the water attached to a severed alligator fin. Crumbled bones floated around it. The rest of the alligators faded into the abyss up ahead. Dylan looked back at Mac, who was still wincing in pain and trying to hide the tears in his eyes. It hurt him to see his best friend in so much pain. He walked over to him. Let me see it. Mac pulled his hand away. Leave me alone. Don't pretend you care. Mac, come on. Of course I care. Let me see it. I'm fine. Why don't you go check on your girlfriend instead? My girlfriend? Dude, come on. Just let me help you up. Mac pushed his hand away. I fed. I'm fine. Fine. Lay out on the floor for all I care. I'm just trying to help. Dylan shook his head and went back to join Mora. I believe we are a safe distance from Ryan's borders, Mora told him when he sat back down. I will fill the emergency floats and take us to the surface. Are you sure? Dylan asked. No, but we have no choice. We either remain here with a dead engine or we rise and repair the damages. Dylan nodded. Take us up. Mora filled the emergency floats and the ship gradually started to rise. When they reached the surface, they opened the side door for a breath of fresh air. But instead of being met with sunshine and a cool ocean breeze, they were met with pitch black darkness 
and hot, muggy, sulfurous air bubbling up from the sea. We are far from the reach of Ryan's simulated sun, Mora told them as if reading their minds. She grabbed bulbous lanterns off the wall and handed them out. We will have to rely on our own light for the time being. Laney was helping put cream on everyone's burns, while Dylan pulled out Grebe's map crystal and dropped it into the projection tube. With a few twists, the crystal started to glow when an ancient map shone on the far wall. Moore walked over and studied it. I believe we crashed down into the sea somewhere around here, she said, pointing to a point on the map with her spear. Since we submerged, we have continued east, with a few minor deviations, which would put us somewhere around here. She moved the spear point to somewhere in the middle of the boiling sea and circled it. So where do we go from here? Dylan asked. Once the engines are repaired and we fill the balloon, we will continue to fly east until we reach Mirage. Mora pointed to the nearest port village marked on the map. I do not know what is there, and if my father's stories are true, it is a dangerous and confusing place. But at least there will be light, and where there is light, there are supplies and people who can help you. You're just going to drop us off? Laney said, her hands on her hips. Mora tilted her head at her. I have saved your lives more than once, girl. Be grateful for that. I will take you over the sea, but no further. But we'll die out here without you, Max said, still nursing his hand. You're basically a superhero. Moore looked at Dylan, who shrugged. He's kind of right, he said. We need you. Mora shook her head. I am sorry, but I have to return and find my father. If you hold on to that map and continue east, you should reach the Noah Volcanoes. If they are as large as I hear they are, you cannot miss them. The light from their lava should guide you from a distance. She returned to her seat in the cockpit, and Dylan looked down at the ground, disappointed. Mac was right again. They needed her desperately if they were going to survive down here. And besides, Dylan was kind of enjoying her company. A little. Would she really just drop them off and disappear like that? After all they'd been through? He walked up to the cockpit and looked out the window while Mora fiddled with the controls. In the distance, just beyond the darkness, a faint green light glowed on the horizon. What's that? he asked, nodding to the light. Mora glanced up at it for only a second before returning to the controls. The lights of Mirage, I hope. The sooner we repair the engine, the sooner we get there. She looked at Dylan for a long moment, and for a second he thought they were having a moment, until she said, Well, what are you waiting for? You have your tools. Get to work. Right, right. Dylan turned and scooped up his tool belt. Before leaving the cockpit, he glanced back at Mora, who was hiding her conflicted expression behind her blue hair. With a quiet sigh, he walked out and headed for the engines.
Hey, Rocketeers. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Digger, which is a production of the Purple Rocket Podcast. If you've enjoyed this story, please let me know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps others discover the show. And getting feedback from my Rocketeers is one of the highlights of my day. I love it. Leave a review, send me an email, shoot me a message on the contact form on the website, whatever. I love hearing from you. And I'm so grateful you guys are tuning in and enjoying the show. Please, 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 Rocketeers, tell your friends and family about the podcast, spread the word, and grow our Rocketeer community. And as always, don't forget to tune in next time for an all-new episode. Till next time, Rocketeers, this is your host, Greg Webb.